Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. Hope you've had a good weather week, weather-related week, even if the weather hasn't been perfect, some way that maybe weather gave you a little aha moment. I want to thank everybody who who followed up and said, this is what I'm thankful for, this is what I'm grateful for, what I have gratitude for. This, after this past week's episode, I've got some weather responses and some non-weather responses, some that you'd expect, you know, others that maybe not, you know, somebody might've said that, Hey, I like thunderstorms. Although, well, you know, ideally I like nice spring like weather. Yeah, I can get that kind of that season of hope. As I've mentioned before, I, I, I don't think I'm unique in this. I like fall, not so much because, you know, the leaves are pointing towards you know the trees going dormant or anything but it just the it's more of the the sensations besides the weather I guess I, I also like cooler air and maybe I see it as a break in that weather so I'm grateful for that I was reminded today though when you drive around in an area that doesn't have a lot of evergreen flora how important seasonal decorations are to not make things seem so dismal as a gray day, right? A lot of just blah sky, if you will. And wreaths and Christmas trees and, you know, pine roping and all that stuff combined with the lights, it still makes everything seem alive. And so I, I do get the benefit, no matter what your religious beliefs are or how you celebrate the holidays. I think that Activity can bring the sensation of things still being vibrant, if you will. And in a year like this, where I saw people putting up decorations really early, like Halloween straight to Christmas decorations, I was going, yeah, at first. But then I was like, yeah, in a year like this, we kind of need that. So I hope you found things to be grateful for and to give thanks about in the last week after we talked about it, maybe a little more than usual. Okay, it's that time of year, this, this week, this week, December 1st, hit us. 2020 is almost over. What a year it's been. But it kicked off meteorological winter. And every year, at, le- at least one person will ask me, why do you guys have to make this so complicated and make winter different? I mean, my answer usually would be, well, why do you have to be so complicated and celebrate it on some random day when the sun just gives us less light? So I find it easy to deal with both. I understand some logic in both. You know, a lot of times you, people will say this. It's like, well, I know the shortest day of the year, so it's only going to get better from there. And then I can say the flip side, but do you enjoy summer? And so then the last day of summer, you're going, uh, summer's over. So you, know, you can flip it that way. Realistically, we do it as follows. Meteorological winter really has to do with areas that experience all seasons to some extent. And when the Generally speaking, the temperature profile breaks down logically into the warmest three months and the coldest three months and settle around that. Yeah, I know it's not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. But particularly before there was big data and all those computers do the analysis and you had to pick dates, firm dates to work with, it was easier to do, right? The the December to February time frame tends to be the coldest three months. Of course, not always year-to-year variance. It's not always going to play out that way, but generally speaking, it is. Now, you may ask, why is that? Okay, So the reality is, even though 
later in December is the shortest day, you can imagine, well, why isn't it split evenly around that? Well, part of that's because we have this lag effect between the sun's phases or how we orbit the sun. And, and you probably figured it out because, you know, you get shorter days and longer days. We, we have this kind of tilt that we rotate around the sun, right? We orbit around the sun. And there's a, a lag between when that transition happens. So when the sun gets as far north or as far south, it does in positioning, you know, relative to us. And this primarily has to do with heating of the oceans. Okay. So there's kind of this lag benefit. So that's why it's not precisely like 45 days, either side of the middle of winter. And like I also said, you know, in the old days, picking a date that was easily repeatable, made sense in analysis. Now we may get somewhere with big data someday that says, you know, maybe it should only be 40 days on one side and so many on the other. I, I don't know. I, all I can tell you is even in school, I had to do an exercise where we discussed why this is, what, you know, what's causing this lag, how long is the lag, you know, is a, an experiment sort of thing. So just to understand that we do it more for the analysis standpoint of the reality of when the three coldest months are or the three warmest months are for mid-latitude sort of thing. So that's where it comes from. It's really that simple. But you go on celebrating whichever winter you want, or both winters, or both summers, whatever makes you happy. It's really that easy. So since we're talking a little bit about winter, since we enter winter, I want to try to look at a question. Is weather burning your lungs? Right? Is it really doing some sort of great damage to your lungs? Winter's out there, and I have to imagine we've all experienced this, right? You go outside, you go outside, and it's really crisp cold. Well, I can't say everybody's experienced this. Anybody that's ever been in a warm climate, and maybe you, you jog outside or you, you're just going out there and you've been in a really warm environment, and all of a sudden you take a deep breath, and your lungs actually hurt, or a sensation of burning is how a lot of people describe it. You may also notice when it gets particularly cold, that when you breathe out, you know, you create a little mini cloud, right? You, you see your breath. And it's, these are some very strong reminders that colder weather is upon us. So I wanted to talk about what's going on and does weather really have an impact in our breathing, right? Does it, does it potentially cause us harm when we have that burning sensation? Or on the flip side, what about summer as well? So we're going to start with the cold, though. Now... When you take those deep breaths, you got to keep in mind that your body likes to be the way it is, right? We all have that kind of comfort range, the right humidity, the right temperature, and this has something to do with what the norms are for our body. We keep our body stays at kind of a set temperature. And quite frankly, the air parts of our body, the ones exposed to air, our body seeks to create a natural humidity level. And this has to do with the nasal passages. This has to do with our lungs. So we have kind of this, what would be a comfort zone for our body. So when we go outside, we're mixing things up. We're, we're causing chaos to that normal systems, right? So when you breathe in air outside, and we've talked about this a little bit before is you always hear the term relative humidity, and that's great for understanding things. You know, whether it's going to rain or not or snow or not or, or whatever. But we've also got this reality that our body, given that it's warmer, 
has the ability to have a natural humidity that probably is as an absolute humidity or the amount of moisture in, in our system, in the air in our body, is higher than anything that can be achieved outside, even when it's snowing or raining, even when it's 100% level outside. And also think about the fact of how cold, think about it. you use ice, you use cold when you've got an inflammatory situation in your body, right? So what it tends to do is it tends to reduce swelling. So it constricts blood flow and that's how it controls that, that behavior. So if we introduce those things in our body, dry, cold air, our body goes, wait a minute, I don't, I don't particularly want that. And for people with asthma, this can be particular because more or less you're introducing an irritant and you're also causing a constriction, right? So when you dump those things together, we may notice it even for people that don't normally have breathing problems, but for people that have a breathing problem, it may be particularly a dangerous situation. But even for us, there are things you can do if you want to lessen that problem when you're going out. Maybe you're going out to exercise. Maybe you are just taking the trash out. Maybe you got to shovel snow out of a driveway. Or you're enjoying being outside. You're going skiing or you know, just taking a, you know, walking the dog or whatever it is. And maybe you enjoy being out there, but you don't like having that situation. Or you want to be good to your body. So, so what are the, some of the things you can do? Well, number one, breathe through your nose. Now, that's easy for some people. This is something I can't do easily. I've got a, a nose, a nasal cavity that's like a pinball machine. So many nooks and crannies and misdirections that air flowing through there is difficult for me. But realistically, if you breathe through your nose, your body has time to A, slowly warm the temperature before it gets to your lungs. Now, you may notice some challenges in your nose and B moisture is introduced. It's one of the things it can do. And actually you can replenish that with nasal sprays, right? So if you use a little bit of saline solution more in the winter time, it helps your body kind of keep a natural moisture level. You can also, you know, wear a mask. I mean, we're already supposed to be doing that for many of us around the globe anyways, currently. And I even remember last year during the winter time, I think people had an easier time masking up because of the time of year, you kind of wanted to keep your face warm anyway. So take advantage of that, right? Another thing to do is take it in steps. Don't just open the door and run out into the cold air if you can avoid it. You know, transition. Like if you have a choice, go out the garage door and open the garage door and let the cold air kind of come to you slowly and then go outside. But always when you're inside, particularly in the wintertime, because like we said, we have this tendency with indoor heating, we tend to actually dry out the air because there's only so much our, the outside air that might get mixed in, only so much humidity it's going to bring. So make sure to consider a humidifier and moisten up that inside level to more of like it would be in the summertime if you can. And that's a tricky thing to do. You're not going to achieve it on its own. Usually you're going to have to introduce some sort of humidity humidity into the equation. Now, some people do that by putting a humidifier in their central air system. For those that don't have it, just consider a small humidifier. Or just boil some water on the stove. Simple things like that. Introduce humidity. You know, Unless you're doing that cooking thing like we talked about where you might you'd be better off without it. But just bringing it up to a level that's a little more of where it should be during what would be called a neutral season is a good thing for you to do. Now, that's the cold side of things. But what about the hot side of things? Is there really a problem? 
when it's hot and humid, it may seem. You, logic would tell you, based on what we just talked about, it's a better thing, right? Our body likes a certain heat and moisture level that we just can't get in the cold season. Well, that's all great. And in the when it's not too hot or not too humid, it's a good thing. But we have we can have problems on the other side too, right? Because we get back to this idea that our body is always trying to reach a balance. And when you get really hot summer days or really humid, like really hot and humid, your body's already struggling to cool off. Well, that cooling is not just, you know, the, your body surface temperature. It's also that airway temperature inside of us. We like to keep it at a certain point. And if we're bringing in really hot air or actually really moist air that's above what our body's used to, it's going to try to seek that balance. And so it expends energy trying to cool off. You may sweat more, of course, and that, you know, that's the obvious thing we think about. But your body's trying to do that in your airways as well. And too much moisture is a bad thing, right? Too much heat and moisture can do this, the same thing. And again, it can be asthma. But another um, common lung situation, I get common may not be the right word, is COPD, right? And particularly hot and humid weather can be problematic for people that have that condition because, yeah, think about it. Not only are the airways taxed or irritated, if you will, by either of the extremes, your body, when it has to work harder, is something that, you know, you want to get more air, but if your body's kind of shut down saying it's too moist, too humid, this air isn't any good for me, and yet you're working really hard and you're expending energy you need that oxygen content well if it's hot and humid outside it's going to be difficult for you to get there so it can it becomes real tricky so either way you look at it either of the extremes can be difficult because our body wants to reach that natural balance and in expending energy to do that it can become difficult to breathe or like i said too much humidity can trap things in there and that's not a good thing again our body has this kind of sweet spot. We have this sweet spot. Most things have kind of a sweet spot. Do we adjust? Of course we do. Is it easier for some than others? Yes, it is. But some of us may find, like for me, I like that cold air, but I know, I know that it's probably best for my body not to just run out into the dry cold air. But for somebody that, if you get used to it, your body can kind of acclimate to that and adjust to it. Same for people that live in warmer climates. We get used to it. We hopefully know our limits and know when it's good or bad. But do know that outside of our sweet spot, we're likely being detrimental, if you will, to our airways. Maybe not in a permanent way, but at least on a temporary level, it will impact your ability to exert and it will impact your energy levels. And it just may generally make you not feel well, even if you don't have those conditions. But recognize that if you know someone with asthma in your family or COPD and your planning activities, keep in mind that weather has a real impact on how they may feel. And the other thing you got to keep in mind with, with weather and your breathing is it's not always the direct weather elements, right? I, I've talked about cold and dry and hot and humid, but Go start, go Google, right? Go start in talking weather and breath and you'll get weather breathing index is what it filled in for me. 
And then, of course, that went to an air quality index page. And you start thinking about the fact that weather, even when it's not directly doing it, it can be spring, it can be fall, just normal run-of-the-mill weather, right? But those same weather seasons can trigger other breathing problems. And I, a dry spring day is a classic example. It's growing season, everything's kicking off again, and lots of pollen in the air. No wind. Let's say it's a perfect day. You think it's great. Not too hot, not too cold. A few clouds in the sky. A little bit of breeze, but nothing too much. And you can go outside, and you might not even be able to breathe, right? You may have allergies that could drive you crazy. So that weather, by just triggering its natural process, because it's influencing that pollen coming about. But on the flip side of that, you may during the spring get a nice cleansing rain and it flushes all the pollen out of the air and makes that spring day perfect for you, even if, if earlier in the day it wasn't. So the, the weather can you know throw it both ways. There's no doubt about it. And it may not even be always obvious, those indirect impacts, right? We talked about just a moment ago about having this, uh, a rain that comes in the springtime and it flushes things out and it makes everything all hunky-dory, right? You may have those red alerts on the air quality index. And most of anybody that gets kind of news or a website, you'll hear the air quality index when it gets into these zones that we've never reached before, whatever it is, with the amount of pollen in the air. And maybe the forecast is for thunderstorms. And you think, oh, that's going to be great. It's going to flush the air out. But we've even talked about this one before. I've alluded to it a little bit. Something called thunderstorm asthma. And the idea here is you don't always have these obvious connections, right? You think, oh, thunderstorm's going to rain. It's going to flush everything out. I enjoy a good thunderstorm. I enjoy the lightning and the sounds. Oh, it's perfect. But if you have a sensitivity to asthma and you're thinking, oh, it's going to clean the air out. Well, there's some belief that can do just the opposite. Is the turbulent nature of a thunderstorm can actually break up pollen that maybe was of a size that was not problematic, but in its smaller size, it actually triggers a worst air quality situation. And particularly with the wind stirring it around, it kicks it up and moves it around in a way that wouldn't have otherwise. And so all of a sudden you're breathing stuff again that makes it bad. Or think about it this way. We had this this year with all the forest fires out west here in the U.S. And we had some strong upper level winds and all those winds brought the smoke all the way from the west coast to the east coast. And yet I think of myself, a lot of times I think, Good, strong winds kind of keeps everything cleaned out, but instead it brought a lot of pollutants. So it's not always an obvious connection. But usually if you put a little thought into it or you listen to a podcast like this and, and recognize it, you can kind of work through the steps in your head and see where the weather situation is or know to think about it. If you're going to be wanting to do something outside, pay a little attention. It's kind of normal run-of-the-mill stuff you know but if it's going to be a little colder or it's colder for the first time of the season and you're not used to doing that maybe put a neck gaiter on you know even if you're doing something where you're not wearing a mask you're going far away and you're doing some exercise where you're socially distancing or whatever it is you may still want the mask just for that reason a good a good benefit of having them i guess anyway leave you with a an interesting thing to to think about with that People sometimes ask me, okay, this whole seeing my breath thing, what's going on there? When does it happen? What's the temperature? Well, technically the temperature can happen anywhere. It's, it's particularly when it, you're at a, a very different temperature 
the air outside, whatever's generating it versus the inside, in, our, in this case, our lungs, right? So about 45-ish Fahrenheit or about, uh, let's say, 7 degrees C, somewhere in that range is, is a normal one where you'll start seeing it. But a lot of it will have to do with the humidity levels, okay? And the short answer is the more humid the air is, the more likely you are to create that situation when you exhale this nice, warm, humid air and it hits that cold air again that can't hold quite as much moisture and it creates that cloud. So the longer it stays around, it's likely that the air is more humid because if it's less humid, it can turn back into a vapor form where it's not condensed and you don't see it. And this gets into whole the whole same thing with jet and contrails. It's, it's all that's going on, people. When you look up in the sky, if you see a lot of contrails, it's probably a good sign that at the upper air, upper levels of the atmosphere, that there's probably a fair amount or of humidity or not, depending on how long those contrails last. Because almost every time they're going on, except in the really warm summertime, when, when that upper air gets a little bit warmer, but particularly in fall, winter, and spring, you're going to see more contrails and how long they last is most always dependent on the amount of humidity in the air. Some, some of it's going to be influenced of course, by how strong the winds are versus the direction of, of the flight that's taking place. But just keep in mind, it's really that simple. Nothing more, nothing nefarious going on up there. That's all that's going on. All right. Hope this helps a little bit. Hopes it helps you adjust to winter because it is, in my mind, winter now. And I hope you're having a good winter. Hope it's kicking off and the end of your holiday season is going well for you. And then in some way, when you're walking around outside or enjoying your inside weather, whatever it is, that you have an aha moment to think about how weather's influencing you and you're in the season, eh, let me know. What happens, right? What is it about the weather? Gmail.com. Just pop me an email or find me on Twitter. Same thing. But even if you just in the moment think about, ah, that's kind of neat. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>